0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Well, thanks very much for joining us. Um, we uh, obviously had the podcast on Thursday with uh, Heim Bloom and, and also uh, Brent Honeywell, which I hope you, you had a chance to listen to. This guy was was so busy on Thursday, he didn't even get to go to the casinos. Um, that would be Mark Topkin at the Tampa Bay Times. I don't think he would, was able to go there at any point because the Rays had him running around doing so many stories. Uh, he certainly were busy at the winter meetings, maybe as busy winter meetings as the Rays have had. Right, Mark?
1: Yeah, I would think so, Neil. I mean, I probably have to go back and like everything else and look at this at this age. But uh, yeah, I mean, three days in a row the Rays was headline news, and you know, typically uh, they're one of the teams that you know, uh, you know, quiet use the winter meetings just to gather reconnaissance or make some small moves. Last year, you know, a couple of one of them paid off with Joey Wendell. But wow, I mean, this week it started obviously with the stadium press conference, which I you know, really didn't know was being in the works. So I guess the Rays. The Rays had the scoop on that one. No, no one broke that one. <laughs> and then, um, obviously, the Charlie Morton signing, which I got out ahead of. And then the trade uh, yesterday, which was really surprising. I mean, I I think if you and I had done a draft of guys we thought that might get traded this winter, I don't think I would have had Jake Bauer real high on my list.
0: I, I definitely wouldn't have, and I want to get to that in a bit. But let's start with Charlie Morton, because from a baseball perspective, I thought that that was the big splash for the Rays. Um, making this week because of how many ways he can help this organization and help this team. And and you had a chance to talk to Lance McCullers. He did some great stuff on com. Yeah,
1: thanks, Neil. And uh, I, I think Charlie Morton is a big signing for the Rays. I mean, in a couple ways. And one of them, which is just astounding, and I, I literally am going to go home this afternoon and triple-check this, even though I've already double-checked it and printed it, that his salary will be the highest salary any player's ever gotten from the Rays at $15 million next season. And I know that's a sign of inflation in the times, but yeah, for the Rays to go out and sign a veteran starting pitcher in two years, 30 million, it's not official yet. It'll be announced. Yeah. They have to clear a roster spot probably sometime next week, early next week. But, uh, and a guy with his stature, this is a guy who was kind of a pedestrian starter most of his career. He went to Houston and that always raises a little bit of a question mark. What do they do over there in Houston? But, Two just tremendous years. This is a guy who got the final out uh, of a World Series clinching game. This is a guy who was a starting pitcher and got the win in Game 7 of the ALCS. He's actually the only player in history to do that. He is just a tremendous guy. This is very rare. You know, sports writers mm-hmm. and sports broadcasters tend to be like a little finicky. Maybe once in a while they complain about something. I mean, not that Dave Wills ever would, but people <laughs> complain about a little thing here and there. The amount of people, Neil, who came up to me after the news of the Charlie Morton signing got out to tell me what a great guy he is, what a great person he is with the media, what a great person he is with his team. Talked to a couple Astros people; they couldn't be quoted yet, but uh, they raved about him as well. I mean, just you don't really universally hear so many good things about a guy, especially unsolicited, and. You know, also, and then like you mentioned, I talked to Lance McCullers who played uh, with him for the last few years, Tampa kid who we all know here, and he couldn't say enough good things about him. So it's a signing for the Rays of a guy who's been a really good pitcher, comes with a great reputation, can provide some veteran leadership to a young staff, a young team. Obviously, the only concern is he's 35 years old. Mm -hmm. He had a little bit of shoulder pang here and there at times last season. You know, you would assume the Rays are very thorough in, in their research on the medicals and everything, but that would be the only concern. And and in a way, there's some built in protection for them in that they'd get a third year out of him at a very reduced price if he misses uh, a lot of time. But that's obviously not why they signed him. They signed him to help them win a lot in 2019 as, you know, really a pretty formidable number two behind Blake Snell right now in that rotation with Taylor Glass now. And then whatever they do in the other two days, probably with openers.
0: And I think it helps in this regard, too. It takes the pressure off of Snell and Glass now. I think it helps take pressure off of. Kevin Cash and Kyle Snyder because they have three true starters. Um, They don't have to push someone into that third starter spot and be forced into using three openers, uh, at least to start the season. I think it allows guys like Brent Honeywell, who we had on yesterday's podcast, to take his time with his rehab before he's ready, and maybe uh-huh. Yanni, Yanni Chirinos to take his time before, you know, evolve into maybe a starter's role or something of that nature. I think it just and, – and the other thing that I think is a, hasn't been noted, he's led the league in hit-by-pitches or hit batters the last two years. There's a certain intensity about the way he pitches – that can maybe rub off on a young team when you're facing the Boston's and New York's of the world.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. I hadn't I hadn't really thought that through in that regard yet and you know, you know he's very popular with the fans too and and he's got a his middle name uh, has become a hashtag, the hashtag is CFM <laughs> because this is a family version of your podcast. I know you do, you know, yes. many versions. This is the family version. So that stands for Charlie Freaky Morton. And I think that might catch on. I could see a hashtag like NFS for Neil Freakin Solon.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll definitely keep it family oriented, um, and and so he's he's an important fit in this group. Um, as you mentioned, the Rays then made another move, which I think was a little more surprising. Maybe not that they wanted Yandy Diaz, but the fact that they traded Jake Bowers and that this deal involved. And I know they got a reliever back who they like, um, and Corey Sulser, but that they included five million dollars in this deal that's a lot for the raise for any that's the first time i can remember that too
1: yeah i mean i hope that doesn't impact you know part of your next negotiation that they've got five million less <laughs> for you but yeah i was surprised like i said on both both aspects of that that they would trade jake bowers i just didn't think they were gonna i thought they really and made a good case in fact kevin cash had talked about it at his you know media session on monday how much confidence they had that jake bowers was going to bounce back now yeah, Kevin Cash is pretty savvy, and he may have known that trade was in the works, and it was a great stage for him to get that message out there to convince the Indians to do the deal, too. But So a little surprising. I mean, it, it, immediate takeaways. They, I think they kind of gave up on Jake Bowers. I no mean, what phrase you want to use, I think that's one way to look at it, that they were concerned he wasn't going to be the player that they had projected him to be. They're taking a little bit of a gamble here on Yandi Diaz. This is a guy with tremendous physical skills, and a couple people have pointed out to me that the – Six two one eighty five 185 height and weight that was listed in the media guides and on the website that we ran in the paper today doesn't really square with the photo of him where he looks because they can think it look like he should be the chief of staff for the president because
0: he's
1: yeah. so much bigger and bulkier and uh, just looks like, you know, makes Stanton look small. I mean, that kind of a body, that kind of a bill, but not a lot of power that he's hit yet. So that's a little surprising that they threw the money in there was surprising and that it it kind of clutters them up. I mean, I understand they're trying to get more right-handed. They thought like they were too left-handed. But now you've got another right-handed hitting infielder, you know, that you don't know exactly where he's going to play. I mean, we know where Willie damas is going to play, but t- tell me where anybody else is definitely going to play. Because I, I thought Matt Duffy was going to play third, but now maybe Yandy Diaz is going to play
0: third. Or maybe Yandy Diaz plays first. And then Yandy yeah. – and, and that you've got Duffy um, – you know, you've got a rotation with Duffy and Robertson and Wendell at third and second and even a little bit of outfield.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's certainly possible. And, and you know, is is uh, Nate Lau in there somewhere, too? So there's definitely some people to mix in and out of that. Um, and, you know, Daniel Robertson, obviously a guy who's been in the middle of the infield, so you'd think he wouldn't be a guy who moved to first base. But so many different ways they can piece it together. Mm-hmm. But, you know, yet infields often are bred out of continuity, and the relationship those guys have, of playing together every day. So I'll be really curious to see what other moves they make as they piece this together, who might come up that could impact this. We know there's some prospects, uh, Nate Lowe, that they are obviously have some interest in bringing up. And, you know, do they make another move? Do they add somebody else? Do they go – you know, they're still – I still think there's an opportunity for the Rays to either add a DH or a first baseman. You also have G-Man Choi
0: in the mix at first. Yeah, you, you – okay, let's hit on a couple of those things. First, Nate Lowe. I, I think maybe the deal of Jake Bowers says as much about how much Nate Lowe came onto the scene last year as it does also about Jake Bauer's second half um, and how much they like Yandy Diaz because here's a guy who drove in well over 100 runs, and I know he started in A-ball, um, but he finished the year in AAA – He's a step away from the big leagues right now, and I think a lot of people in the organization talking to them believe this kid's for real.
1: Minor League Player of the Year, obviously, in a year where, put, put it this way, the Rays had the best prospect in all of minor league baseball last year in Wander Franco, and Nate Lowe was the Minor League Player of the Year. So that, that tells you something right there, how highly they think of him and the season he had. But, yeah, to jump three levels, the Rays don't do that very often, first of all. For him to have the success he did and maintain it through all three levels, yeah, you know, I don't think you're going to see him in April, but I think you could see him in June or July, and you're right. If he's off to a great start, that may have been part of the calculus here. But, but even then, let's say that is part of the plan. Then you have yet another right-handed hitting guy. Or, you know, sorry, you have another bat to mix in there playing at these same positions. It's just interesting there's not a real –
0: clear path as to who's going to start where yeah and you mentioned the right-handedness obviously nate low left-handed but let's right. get to the right-handedness with with who the you know the rays have obviously added some right-handed bats this offseason i look at the top two teams that the rays are contending with the red Sox have sale price eduardo rodriguez and you can even argue brian johnson is in there for depth and then the yankees now have hap sabathia paxton the lefties in their rotation. I mean, there aren't many teams where you can say the top two teams that you're contending with are more left-handed than right-handed in their starting rotation.
1: Absolutely, and I do think that's part of it. And I've I've also even heard, you know, some some Rays chatter that you know they think those teams are you know making sure they have left-handed starters because they know how many good young left-handed hitters the Rays have. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I, look, I I've been very always very complimentary of the work the Rays do and the research they do and their statistical analysis of all this. But, you know, they play the other teams in the league quite a bit, too. And yes. they all don't have a ton of left-handers. And you're going to have days where, you know, are they going too far to be too right-handed? I mean, obviously you got to break it down, and, you know, they can do projections on all this. But, you know, they play a lot of games against, like, you know, the Kansas City Royals, who probably are going to have four right-handed starters. The Chicago White Sox, some years, have had five right-handed starters. Mm-hmm. So you know they've also got to you know balance that too, but that's part of having the deep
0: roster, obviously. Correct, and uh, you know that's why you have guys too with options. Um, you know, I mean, you do have KK, you do have Mikey Perez is your left hand hitting catcher right now. You do have, I mean, I think Tommy Pham the way he hit is going to play against everybody. Period. Right. Um, you know, you're going to have right handers. Yeah, Austin Meadows. So, so there is there is balance, and I think they do have they they do now have more balance. But as you alluded to. You think more is on the horizon, and I do too. A bat, and I still think a reliever um, at some point. Yeah. I'm not quite sure. There are there are many more relievers looking for jobs than there are jobs. I think if you look at this
1: market, no doubt about it. And then there, you know, a lot of talk in Las Vegas was that Craig Kimbrell was you know kind of holding this up because you know teams that wanted you know, an elite level guy, we're obviously going to inquire on him. And then there's been some chatter about how much money he's actually looking for. And I believe nine figures, uh, nine, nine figures is without when you're not counting the two on the right side of the decimal, is is a pretty hefty amount for a reliever. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know if people are going to continue to wait for him. Obviously the Red Sox, you know, they seem to act like they're planning to move on, but yeah, there's a bunch of relievers out there and, you know, it's, also it's just in such a fungible position year to year where some guys are great and some guys aren't good and the Rays have kind of you know had a pretty good run with that I mean they haven't always hit but you think of what Fernando Roddy did what Soriano did uh, Joaquin Benoit I mean they've brought a lot of these guys in sometimes just for one or two year deals and, and they've really hit on them
0: chazro Sergio Romo of course yeah. too yeah. um and, and it does appear that they do have room in their budget to be able to add. I mean, there's never a set number, um, but there's still, even with the $5 million they spent on, on the, uh, the D.S. Bauer deal, there's still, what, just barely over 50000000 million payroll-wise for uh, 2019.
1: Yeah, and I, don't, I, don't, I didn't look and see what the breakdown is. Sometimes those are staggered. I mean, I like to kind of talk about it in just in terms of what they're spending to put the players on the field. And, and you know, assuming I did the math right going into the meetings, they were, they could have fielded a team for thirty two, paying, you know, a lot of guys the five fifty or five seventy five that they'll make. So just roughly take five hundred thousand off the fifteen million that Charlie Morton makes and add that to the thirty two. So you're at forty right there. Yandy Diaz is gonna replace Jake Bowers, that's gonna be the same amount of money. So yeah, they're still, you know, in, in essence for players on the field under fifty million dollars. You would think that if the opportunity you know, to land a bat, even if it wasn't Nelson Cruz, and that might be $15 million a year also, you'd think they would be able to talk about that uh, if that's the way they want to go.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to follow over the next uh, several weeks as the Rays' roster kind of continues to churn and evolve. Um, you, you mentioned at the top, Mark, the stadium. Um, I don't think it was shocking that they weren't able to come up to a deal before the December deadline. Um, you know, in terms of the the three-year window they had. I think the surprising thing was just that it was announced at the winter meetings, that they didn't wait until after the meetings to announce something like that.
1: Yeah, and, and also that they didn't, you know, give the, the I don't know, the courtesy or just the opportunity to let the ball, re, you know, let the clock run out. You know, I think obviously this isn't something where they were, you know, the Hillsborough people were going to pull together a totally different financing plan in two weeks with holiday days in there, but I was surprised that the Rays didn't wait until, you know, closer to the 31st to do this. And I do think, you know, let's be realistic. There was a great forum there. They clearly orchestrated, uh, that was clearly orchestrated to do that press conference in the media room, up on the podium with MLB Network showing it live nationally. I mean, there was you know definitely a thought involved there that they wanted to get that message out in a, in a very strong way as opposed to, you know, maybe more of a typical Rays way where that would have been, you know, a press release, and in, or more of a less formal uh, conversation with team officials, but they obviously felt very strongly. And look, there's a lot of backing for them from Rob Manfred. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, that was plan. Obviously, that press conference was planned before Rob Manfred's letter went out that day. But the letter that Rob Manfred sent that morning to the Hillsborough County, uh, the lawyer representing the Hillsborough County people, that was a very strongly worded uh, missive that made it very clear that this plan was not going to work. And and then he even raised the question, of why was he being involved at this late of a day? In other words, you know, where where were you guys months and months and months ago if you wanted to get him involved? So I, I think it was baseball and the Rays basically <clears throat> deciding that it wasn't going to work and they were going to take advantage of the stage. They had to get the word out there.
0: Well, it be an interesting storyline to follow for sure. That was on MLB Network. I think you had more MLB Network time though than Stuart Sternberg though. You definitely didn't lose your shirt at the table because you had your shirt, you had your jacket, you had everything for this uh, for this trip.
1: Yeah, I was trying to be TV Neil. I was trying to be the Mark version of TV Neil there, but no, it was fun. I mean, that's um, and you know what. And, and this is, I'm going to say this in a way reflective of the Rays relevance is You know, I I'm one of the people that the. MLB Network uses occasionally. They have a couple people with each team. You've been on there as well. Rich Hollenberg's been on there uh, in the past. Todd Callis obviously claimed it because he was much better looking than any of us, and he mm-hmm. was always the guy. But, you know, they have guys with each team, and every year at the winter meetings, they send you an email and say, hey, we're going to, you know, we might need you. You know, make sure you have your jacket and tie. Uh, you know, here's where our sets are going to be. And I don't think I've been on the last three years. So I think it was very reflective of how much news the Rays were making that they were. Uh, very interested in having someone come on and talk about the Rays. Uh, you know, I was obviously happy to have the opportunity to do it. I know they had Hein Bloom on a couple times. as Well, but it was just interesting how much more relevant the Rays were uh, this winter meeting uh, due to the stuff that they did.
0: All right. That said, here's a question I want you to and and maybe maybe um um uh you know it's too early in the off season to say this, but I'll say at this point of the off season, with the subtractions Cleveland has made with who Oakland has lost in free agency and hasn't, let's say, filled in those pieces, and the fact that Houston's rotation is Verlander, Cole, and we don't know who the other three are, are the top three teams, as we speak, on this date in the American League, all in the East?
1: Huh. Um, let's think about this. Any other major moves that other AL teams have made? Not really anything significant. Um, Minnesota did hire a pretty good manager in Rocco Baldelli. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, look, obviously no one's playing today, Neil, and I Correct. understand you know, you're, there is a point to your exercise. But, you know, Houston obviously is going to find a way to replace Charlie Morton and improve their starting pitching. You know, there's still – I mean, the biggest question is, what are, the, are the Yankees going to sign Machado or not? I mean, I was on MLB Network with Brian Hope, who does the Yankees for MLB.com, does a great job. And he told uh, Lauren Shahadi right, you know, right to her face when she asked him that, chance, at least, that the Yankees sign Machado. I mean, he said he's planning on being at a press conference in the next week or two uh, with Machado signing. So, you know, if the Yankees get Machado, that's going to really change the dynamics of things, too. But, you know, what if a team like the White Sox surprised everyone and they signed Machado or Harper? Mm -hmm. Does does, does that prop them up? I mean, they did just get Colome. That was probably maybe one of the next biggest moves.
0: You know, it's going to be curious to follow. I, I do think the Rays have done a lot to help themselves, but again, they're in the toughest division in the sport with 200 win teams. And yeah. you know, you mentioned Houston replacing Morton, but they don't only have to replace Morton. They have to replace McCullers coming off Tommy John and right. Dallas Keuchel's a free agent. That's three really big holes to fill as good as their position players are. So I think they have, they've got a lot of work to do, I think, this offseason.
1: Absolutely. And whether, you know, if there's any opportunity for Keichel to go back, is that accelerated now that they know they lost Morton? They were trying to get Morton. I thought, you know, Lance McCullers in the interview the other day I did with him where he said he felt like it was a missed opportunity for the Astros to not keep Charlie Morton. So it'll be curious to see. There are some still moves. But, you know, there's there's a clear delineation, as, as there kind of ended up being last year, of the teams mm-hmm. that are you know more likely to be in the race and the teams that really don't seem to be trying to be in the race in the American League.
0: Mark, great stuff. Uh, it'll be interesting to follow for sure. Hopefully, you get a little bit of sleep between now and the next uh, announcement by the Rays. I would assume. Hopefully, next week we learn about we get you know official word and have a conversation with Charlie Morton.
1: Yeah, I would think so. And he lives in uh, the Bradenton area, which I didn't realize. So you know, maybe we'll even uh, see him come up uh, to the Trop and, and do something face to face. And it would be. Or, I mean, I'm curious. Like I said, the sports writers and broadcasters are such a cynical lot to have everybody rave about the guy i'm curious like you know i want to see how magnanimous his personality really is
0: most of most of them are cynical mark not all of us are cynical
1: okay you're right andy <laughs> freed is not cynical there's none a cynical bone in andy freed's body
0: no i don't have many either i'm usually glass half full and i'll stay half full for now <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, you are always half
0: full, Neil, at least. All right, I'm full of something. Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times, we certainly appreciate him joining us, and hopefully you enjoyed his coverage of the winter meetings, and we'll enjoy his coverage going forward. You can follow him at rays. Of course, you can follow our blog, raiseradio.mlblogs.com, and we also will have more podcasts, again, once the official news comes down on Charlie Morton, probably sometime next week. Until then, thanks for being with us. We'll talk to you soon.